0: One of the sermons I'll never forget um, was preached by our sending church, Pastor Chris Atwell. And the big idea of the sermon um, ties in so well to what the text is going to call of us today. Because today we're going to talk about something that nobody really likes to talk about because we all experience it, probably in ways that are affecting your life that you don't even realize. But it's fear. It's fear and how faith ties to fear. And how fear ties to what we love most. And so the sermon that Chris Atwell preached in Portico Church in Charlottesville, our sending church, was on Luke 8. And it was the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years. And she spent everything that she had on doctors to no avail. And Jesus is going through the crowds and she touches him. And she's healed immediately. And Jesus stopped and says, who, who did that? Who touched me? His disciples are like, what are you talking about? We're in a crowd? He's like, no, no, my power, power went out of me. Somebody's healed. Who touched me? And she, she came forward and said, I did. And it says that she was trembling. Man, she was afraid. But she was found out, and she came forward in courage. She said, here's the deal. Here's what happened to me, and you healed me. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. So we need to reconstitute how we understand fear and faith. I want you to think of fear and how faith intersects with that as maybe trembling courage. Let's label it like that for a day and let the text work us through that. So fear is, is, is something that's going to affect your life. And many times we think faith will takes away fear. Well, it just doesn't. What faith is, is actually moving forward in obedience in the face of fear, like she did. It's trembling courage. And we saw out of Luke 8 that Jesus favors that. He favors trembling courage over just... Um, measured and cautious cowardice, which is where the rest of the crowd was, but she didn't. She moved on him, and he healed her. So we're going to see this today in the text. Not in the same way, but Jesus is going to call us to a faith that operates in the theater of fear. And he's going to call the church to a trembling confidence, Trembling confidence and have us walk away from a measured and a careful and a cautious cowardice. Yeah, this this is what the text is going to call us to do today. And a few questions that fear is always going to ask you, and and you know this because it walks through your head all the time. Fear is always going to ask you, well, what if? Imagine her. Imagine she's going to go touch him. Well, what if I can't get to him? (laughs) There's a crowd. What if he he turns and sees who it is and rejects me? What if I don't get healed? Hey, I'm ceremonial unclean. What if I contaminate him? What if, what if, what if? See, faith is going to push that away and replace it with what is. And for her, what is, is that this is the Savior. This is the Messiah. This maybe is the promised one that God was going to give us. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to touch him. And she was healed. So think of that. How we handle fear as a church will set our next decade. Uh, Last week, I hope you were here, Pastor Nate Wagner opened us up in a series on Revelation, and I listened to it on our podcast, and I loved it so much Um, man, he's really good. I just love this guy. And he he did, I'm just going to throw this out. He did almost all of the back work in Revelations. Um, He just did a great job. And how we got here is at at our elder team retreat, we went on um, about six weeks ago, a month ago, God really laid it on our heart. No questions asked. You guys, as a church, have been here for a decade. I have worked through you. You need to remember that and you need to prepare for the next decade. And he put our noses in Revelations, especially where Jesus talks to the churches. And so, what we're doing is we're bringing this to you and we're asking you to walk through that with us and build conviction with us. And as Pastor Nate Wagner said, let this till our hearts. Because if we don't understand this church and see this church and see this city and see everything the way Jesus sees it, then the reason that we gathered together almost a decade ago will change. And the church will become something else to us. And we will forget, like he so excellently told us, our first love. Right? And it's not what you think or what you do or what you profess that changes your life or shapes your life. It's what you love. It's what you love. That's what leads your life. So this is where we're at. So as we jump into the text today and as we talk about faith and fear and what role that plays in our life, um, I want you to be thinking through with us, hey, where are we as a church? I just Side note, I'm excited, right? This is not... Like, well, we are an awful church, and Jesus... No, I'm excited. Be excited with us. But you know what? We cannot take our eye off the ball. And we need to understand ourselves and see ourselves as Jesus sees us. And we need to walk into the future that Jesus has for us together. So be walking through that with us. Um, Every one of these is a church. So Jesus is speaking to the churches in Asia. Revelation is apocalyptic literature. That just means Jesus is revealing. He's speaking, and all of the prophecy in Scripture gets wrapped up in Revelation. I know it's weird. We're not getting to the weird stuff yet. We're just going to go through all the seven churches in Asia, how Jesus walks among them and speaks to them. But remember, uh, John, who writes um, Revelation, he assumes that we understand the Old Testament. And when we see things like the beast and different images and... The Old Testament. We'll go back to the Old Testament. We'll go back to Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. He assumes that we know to do that. Um, But many times we approach Revelation as like if we read it well enough, we'll know when Jesus is gonna come back. It was never written for that. In fact, Revelation opens this this way. Those who read this word aloud will be blessed. This is meant to be a blessing. To the church. It's meant to give us grace and peace and prepare prepare us for the future. And I know it kind of runs like a movie trailer. You're like, oh, I think I know what's going to happen, but it's like different ideas of the same thing. Um, But the idea is complete and total and uncontested victory. But you're going to get beat up, right? You're going to fear. You need to know what to do with that. So we're going to jump in. We're going to be the church at Smyrna today, Revelation 2 verses 8 through 11. Uh, So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in right into the text and see where the Lord will take us, okay? Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so very much that you don't leave us. In your own words, you don't leave us as orphans. You send the Spirit of God to lead the people of God, Lord, and we need that so much today. I have a lot of things to fear. We have a lot of things to fear, God. Take our eyes off of that. Put our eyes where you would have them. So our ask this morning is that you would use this scripture, you would use your holy word to build your church. So would you open us up that it might read us and that we might receive from your good hand everything that you give us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, last week was the church at Ephesus. This week is the church at Smyrna. Here we go. It's not as long as last week's text. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this is Jesus talking, talking to John in a vision. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the constant refrain in Revelation. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Trembling courage. If we don't have it, we will not finish. If you don't have it, you will not finish. We need to understand how to handle fear, especially when we're losing because fear is all about loss, what you're afraid to lose. And so the call here is to walk in that trembling courage like the woman, Jesus, that met Jesus in Luke 8. Walk in that trembling courage and walk away from a cautious measured cowardice that will not walk where God calls us to go. So let's jump into this text. God has a lot for us. There's three things that Jesus always does when he addresses any one of these churches. First, he commends them, and we'll be doing this every single time. He commends them, then he confronts them, and then he calls them to conquer every single time. Not always in that order, but for the most part. Um, So first, he commends them, confronts them, and then he calls them to conquer. And interlaced through that, there's one more C. He gives them comfort. Sometimes it's direct, sometimes it's by implication, but we need all of it. So Smyrna, we need to understand where Smyrna is and what role it plays in Asia. It was a major church in Asia. So last week we talked about Ephesus. I think we know where Ephesus is and it was a major church. Um, Of course there's a letter written by Paul to the Ephesians. Smyrna is about 35 miles north of Ephesus. It's on the Aegean Sea. It is a good place. It's a proud, beautiful city. Um, The thing that we need to know about Smyrna is that Rome Rome loved Smyrna, and Smyrna loved being loved by Rome. Uh, they had a good harbor. there was a good area of commerce. They were kind of second to Ephesus in that, but they were a player. Now, one of the things that you would know if you were in Smyrna is that they had um, two good temples, one to Zeus and one to somebody else, I can't remember. But Roman religion was established well in Smyrna. Not only that, uh, they had bid for and received the authorization to build a temple, an imperial temple, to the emperor Tiberius, I believe it was, in 23 AD. So they, they were loved by Rome. The imperial cult, that is, worship of the emperor, was not just happening there. It was commanded there all the times. And if you wanted any kind of influence in any public sphere at all, you would be forced to offer a sacrifice publicly to the Caesar. You would have to do that. It was required. If you refused to do that... You, first of all, people didn't understand. Why would you do that? Why would you hate Rome? Why would you hate Smyrna? We don't understand. You can worship who you want, but you've got to do this. So there was, it was very, very difficult for Christians to live in Smyrna, but they did live there, and much was required of them. But understand this. There was active persecution. It happened all the time. Now notice this in verse 9. I love this. You're going to need to hold on to this. It says, Jesus knows. Listen to that. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but are a synagogue of Satan. We need to feel this. Jesus takes careful account of every single thing that you lose in following him. Do you know that? Everything that you lose because you love Jesus, he knows everything. He keeps a careful account of it. Now, to, that was hugely encouraging to them because their life was about losing if they were going to be faithful to Jesus. Jesus knows. He knows your tribulation. What does that word mean? We don't walk around saying, well, I had a, really, a lot of tribulation this week. Nobody ever says that, do you? What's wrong with you? It means heat and persecution. The idea is that your life is compressed, right? When things get compressed, they heat up. It's just a physical thing. So it, it's, there is heat in your life. There is pressure in your life. You may or may not be handling it well. There is trouble, and it's not going to go away. So they had tribulation. Um, there was poverty. Now, this, is, this word is like abject poverty. This is not like, well, I think I missed a bill last week, or I'm going to have to wait until I send the mortgage in or rent. No, this is, I don't have options. I'm out of luck. I'm out of money. I don't have an, I have an issue here. And lastly, and this ties to all of it, it was slander. You're losing socially. Right? You lose the ability to have any social capital because there's people in your city, in your community, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, probably even in your family that are lying about you, and that are pointing you out. Now, Jesus says some weird things. He talks about the Jews, those that say they are Jews. What we need to hear is those that are, should be God's people. Those that have the law, those that have the grace of God, those that are calling themselves God's people, are a synagogue of Satan. Those are tough words, man. What does he mean by that? Here's probably what's happening. Uh, Jews had a favored status with Rome. In other words, they did not have to offer worship to the Caesar. They had a relationship with Rome from way back, at least for the first century. Christians kind of got ushered into that because nobody knew what Christians were. They're like, they read the Bible, the Jesus thing. Was he a prophet? We don't know. Most of the church, the raging majority of it, was Jewish in the beginning. They became Christians. So it was really unclear As persecution started to stamp up and ramp up, even with some of the Jews, probably what was happening is they were like, oh, they don't belong to us. No, no. No. We don't believe what they believe. In fact, they're causing trouble in our synagogues. Don't give them protection here. Get out. It's possible they were turning them over to Rome and saying, yeah, they're here. You can come get them. We don't want them probably what was happening. But some Christians would deny the faith to just have the protection of the synagogue. So that's probably what Jesus means. Either way, um, they're out, they're getting outed, they're losing. But Jesus says this, here's a commendation, you're rich. He obviously doesn't mean they're physically rich. They don't have money. So what kind of rich are they? Well, I want you to think of rich in, in, um, In a certain way. I want you to think of of swagger and confidence. Okay? Hey, if you lost five bucks today on the way home from church, how stressed out would you be? Now, I'm going to be honest. Maybe somebody here only has five dollars. I'm not joking about that. I I actually understand what that's like. But for most of us, would you really be stressed out? Would it ruin your day? No? Let me help you answer that. No, it wouldn't. You'd be like, man... 20 bucks, maybe. You're just like, whatever. It's not going to affect your life. Why? Because you got resources. Losing a dollar isn't going to matter to you much. Being rich is all about the confidence you have in your resources. So the church at Smyrna had much loss that you were dealing with, tribulation, pressure, slander, and their own poverty because, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But they had swagger in this way. Jesus loves us. You touch us, you deal with him. We we know where to go. We know who we belong to. There is a richness to their faith that undergirded everything that they did. And Jesus points it out, puts them on blast, and says, that. Oh, yeah, you're losing in all these other ways. But you are rich and you're living like it. You have the swagger or the confidence or someone who belongs to me. And oh, by the way, I'm the eternal, victorious king. So you should feel that way. So they're living rich. He commends them for that. Um, Then he confronts them. You want to just skip over that one? No, you don't. Okay. Then he confronts them. It's funny because when he talks to the church at Smyrna, the commendation is kind of small and the confrontation is also small. It's not as, uh, it's not as um, right in your face as the rest of the churches. I'm not sure why, but it's what Jesus had to say. So his confrontation is this don't fear your future, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now, I always read these, I just read the word of God, I'm like, man. I, I believe it. I know it's perfect and true. But you would if you were Jesus' friend, you'd have been like, ah, let's write that differently. Let me, let's get a PR firm here. Because you said, don't fear what you're about to suffer. And maybe the next sentence should be, because it's not going to be that bad. Or maybe because I'm going to be with you till the end. Or because I'm going to come back quickly. Jesus says nothing like that. Listen to how he anchors not to fear. Uh, He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold or look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. How does the logic work? The equation doesn't solve. Hey, look, everybody, don't fear because you're going to be thrown into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days or a season, you will have tribulation. Um, A couple of things to see here. First, fear is all about loss. Again, there's something that you deeply fear, and it has to do with loss. And the ultimate loss is death, and we're going to go there. Um, But in tribulation, you lose comfort and security. Poverty, you lose options. Slander, you lose the affirmation of people around you. Fear always has an object. So it will be good for you now to understand what the object of your fear is as Jesus walks us through that. Um, But he calls them and us, do not fear what you're about to suffer. You have personal, strategic opposition coming for you. His name is the adversary, or Satan. Um, You you will experience that. And by Jesus saying, some of you are going to go to prison, that means execution. Roman prison is a holding tank, for getting beheaded or worse. For Christians, beheading was too good. That was usually for a Roman citizen. You could lose citizenship and you'd just be burned. So do not fear your future. Don't fear what's about to happen to you. Oh, by the way, I love Jesus is just honest. Guess what? Some of you are going to go to prison and you know what that means. Don't fear it. Embrace it with trembling Courage. Don't pull back into cautious cowardice. Do not deny me. But he says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. There's a testing that happens when we suffer and we suffer loss that does something to your faith that you can get no other way. Um, if all you ever do, is play your guitar in your room, and you never perform, you're never going to get better. You're never going to make mistakes in front of people and have people laugh at you. You're you're never going to get tested. If all you ever do is swing in the batting cage and never go into a game, you're never going to understand where you are, and your faith or your, your skill will never have a chance to strengthen. So know this. Jesus is so in control and so confident in his ability that even the fact that Satan will send some to prison through Rome, he's using it to strengthen and test their faith and give them more confidence so that they can live more richly in their faith in real time. So it, it goes backwards. Don't, don't worry about that. Oh, you're going to suffer and it's going to be awful. But your faith will be tested and strengthened. And it will be good for you. It will be good. And you will be tempted to be faithful unto death. Well, what are they really tempted with? What do you think some average Joe or Jane in the Smyrna church would be tempted to do? Well, hey, let's say you're in a trade guild. Let's say you're a mason and they find out you're a Christian, Rome would pull you out of the trade guild. Oh, I can't support my family. Okay, we can fix that. Renounce Jesus. Caesar is Lord. No. You're going to lose big. They would be tempted to deny the living God so that life would be easier for them. Listen, friend, as a Christian and I don't care who you are and how long you've walked with Jesus, you will be tempted to just survive instead of live faithfully. They were, we are, we will be. They would be yanked out of society economically and face hardship that you and I haven't got to yet. It's getting there, but we haven't got to yet. What about us? I don't know. Here's a random one. Would you go to a bachelor party where there's strippers? Is that okay? Not if you're a Christian. Not if they're... I mean, come on, it's just not. Well, yeah, but it's like my best friend. Okay. you got to realize, in that act, you are denying Jesus. Would you stay silent? I I remember in high school, when... My English teachers like who believes there's some invisible god and when you die if you're a good person you go to heaven and play the harp and they're like <laughs> like 3 of us <sighs> Would you cut corners if it benefited you economically? Be faithful unto death. And this is not be faithful when you're called to die. It's not that. It's up to. It's a range. Be faithful in the smallest, tiniest things all the way up to some of us will be asked to give up our life for the sake of Christ. This is what he's saying. Second um, Timothy 3.12 is very clear. Anybody who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, and that's our mission statement, right? Uniting people to life in Christ, know this you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. Understand what that looks like in your life. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to read to you out of a journal um, of a 22-year-old girl. That's awkward. But she lived a long time ago, uh, 200 AD. Her name is Perpetua. She was a society gal. She was born to a really good family. Um, she had a child. I don't know if she was married or not. Um, she had servants and slaves Probably a debutante. She was in Carthage, which was in North Africa, but um, maybe 100 years after this was written. Um, she was heard the gospel and came to Christ violently. You know what I mean by that? I'm following Jesus. That's what I mean by that. And it bothered her family, and it bothered her dad, and it bothered everybody and she was one of five people that was getting prepared to be baptized. And she she wrote, we still have her journal. We have a Latin copy and a Greek copy. While we were still under arrest, my father, out of love for me, was trying to persuade me and shake my resolution. Father, I said, do you see this vase here? Yes. And I told him, could it be called any other name than a vase? No. Well, So too, I cannot be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. And and during those few days, I was baptized. And a few days later, we were lodged in the prison. She was arrested. And I was terrified. Trembling courage. Here she is. And then her dad shows up later. And... She got permission to have her baby brought to her in prison so she could nurse the little one. And then it came for their day to be heard before the governor. And she writes, "Then when my came my turn, my father appeared with my son and dragged me from the step and said, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby." Oh my gosh. Dad shows up. Here's your kid. Don't be an idiot. Do the stupid sacrifice to Caesar and get off of the dock. What would you have said? I know what I would have said. Okay, dad. I will not. I will not. The local prefect, the governor there said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. Then Hilarionus passed sentence on all of us, and we were condemned to the beast. And we returned to prison in high spirits. And she died. Probably torn apart. Who knows? That is trembling courage, friends. That is trembling courage. Perpetua, don't forget her name. Jesus calls us to this. But wait, there's more. Conquer. He calls us to conquer. Do not misunderstand this, because if you do, you will never get out of the dark. So I want us to understand this carefully. What does it mean to conquer? Verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We need to understand. So what does it mean to conquer? It means basically to overcome in the face of opposition. So conquering doesn't just mean that you win or that you're judged to win. It means that you overcome in the face of opposition. So as a Christian, here's what you need to know. And if somebody didn't tell you this before you came to Christ, I apologize. Life is war. Hey, it's bad enough if you don't follow Jesus. If you're going to follow a crucified and risen king, it's war. You will conquer, meaning you will face real opposition, and you will either face it in faith or you will pull back. so expect that secondly, uh, obedience in the face of fear. Th- this is what faith is. this is what trembling courage is it 's not the absence of fear. Perpetua she did have the spirit of God working in her life, that she didn 't deny Jesus and were like benefited out of that. God bless them. They went back to jail in high spirits. She wasn't happy and she was terrified. So it's, it's not the absence of fear, it's obedience in the face of fear to conquer. And here's where it gets really good. I hope you feel depressed like I do. Here's where it gets really good. I can't, I, I, don't, I don't know that I could have done that. I, I, want, I, I want to believe by the Spirit of God and the community He's put me in, I would have finished well. But when I read her account, Man, there's a reason we do church history. The Why they teach it? You need to hear the voice of the church. All right, you need to get out of your world a little bit and know that it's, it's a universal church for all time, and listen to some of the voices there. All right, this is conquering. Uh, Romans six, verse three. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? That's your conquering right there. That's the first death. That's why when, when we do a baptism, we say it's both your death and a birth ceremony. Th- this is your conquering. In other words, all loss is about death ultimately. Death always wins and death always separates you from what you love, unless you love Jesus most, period. So you can't lose what you don't have. So when we're baptized into the death of Christ. We are unified with him under the waters of judgment and we come out new by his work, right? We have suffered the first death. We have been judged guilty. And he has taken on our sentence. So this, you have to embrace this total loss. If not, you will spend the rest of your life trying to win on your own. You will spend the rest of your life seeking perfection, seeking to overcome sin and death in your own life, in your own power, finding affirmation in your own strength instead of from God's word. So what does it mean to conquer? First, embrace this total loss. This baptism is a picture of this. And here's where it gets really good. It means this. Jesus hands you the trophy. Now, I had little kids. And, you know, in this day and age, if you just show up to the game, you don't even have to practice. And you could be the worst team in the field, you get a trophy. Right? I used to break them in front of my kids and say, you don't deserve it. Just kidding. <laughs> did, did I ever do that? I can't remember if I did that. If I, if I did that, I'm sorry, kids. That was mean. But I get it. We're trying to encourage our kids. But then it makes it confusing because then they think they actually did something and they didn't. So... But let's not be, let's be careful because Jesus is just handing you the trophy. He's handing you the crown. It's a wreath. It's what you would get um, when state sponsored games if you won. It's like a wreath of laurel. They put it on your head. It means you ran the race and you won. Jesus hands it to you. You get the trophy. You didn't even participate and you get the trophy. You just stand there and say, please. Forgive me? I want to be in the water too? And you ask for forgiveness and you receive it, and you receive adoption as a child of God, you have to be able to just take the trophy because you can never win this. It's well beyond you. You know what you're fighting? Death. How many people have won that game? The scorecard's really bad. Death always has a W. Hey, the Nats won. Now, who here would have thought they were going to win? Probably not most of us. Can we just be honest? There's none of them here, right? I love them. I'm excited. Baby Shark, all that. They had a chance because they're an MLB team. You have, no fa- you have zero chance of overcoming the great loss, which is death. It will separate you from everything. You are not going to win it. Jesus wins it. He's got the win in this. You've got to listen to him. He's been there. He's suffered. He's been abused. He's had humiliation. He's walked and served under great oppression and violence. And he's won this for you. Will you take it? You, to conquer, you must let him hand you the trophy because he has earned it. If I was in Smyrna, if I was Perpetua, I would be tempted to say, hey, where was God when this was going on? Where was God when Dad took my baby back? This is the answer. Well, I was, I was taking on the crown of thorns. I was suffering all of this for you because I am crazy about you and I'm winning for you. But you gotta conquer with me. You gotta take this. You gotta walk in faith. You gotta receive this. Jesus is the victor. He's not pointing you where to go, He's not teaching you how to live. He is saving 100% completely. Don't add him to your list of spiritual things. You either die and live in him, or you don't. There's one way to conquer. He does it, and you receive it. Okay. Um, I can't explain it any better than the end of Revelation does. Because it says that we shouldn't be hurt by the second death. All right. Remember how Jesus opens up to Smyrna. He says, um, I'm the first and the last, and the one who died and came back to life. To them, you know what that meant? Eternal, victorious king. I'm listening to you. Revelation 20, verse 11. Just listen. We're going to close with this. And then he saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence... Earth and the sky fled. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The second death is judgment. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 21. Then I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heavens and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! This is no longer, behold, Satan's going to throw you into prison. Listen. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, Smyrna. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is what you don't have to read. You understand the magnitude of the victory that Jesus gives you. Do you feel that? Do you feel the second death? God is just. Oppressors in this life get judged. The problem is none of us want God outside of his grace. By God's grace, he secures this and offers it to us. And our call is trembling courage over cautious and measured cowardice. Understanding what Jesus has done for you. Can I ask you a question? Would you suffer the death of fill in the blank? Your comfort? Would you suffer the death of a relationship? Your financial security? Would you suffer the death of respect? Respect? You suffer the death of, how about just death? Because of the surpassing glory that you have in Christ Jesus through faith. And faith is an open hand. You turn from death and sin and you hold on to Jesus. And I mean, hold on. Hold on. That's what, nobody's going to do this by themselves. It takes a whole church to do this. Trembling courage over cautious cowardice. What would you let go of? There's your love. Listen, faith replaces the what if with what is. Jesus is present. He's the eternal, victorious king. He's in control. So check this. Where do you need to walk forward in trembling courage? Maybe like, well, I don't want the second death. Well, then don't take it. Take the crown. Well, I'm not good enough. No, you're not. Neither am I open your hand, receive it, ask for forgiveness. He gives it. He doesn't take it back. Where do you need to walk forward in trembling courage? Where do you need to walk forward in faith? What, what are you holding on to? What love has got a hold of you so much so that you're terrified of losing it and it's not Jesus? Be terrified of not getting the crown. That's the fear. Fear God. Don't, don't fear the wrong thing. Right. This is a great check for both Smyrna and for us. Trembling courage, not cautious cowardice. And He'll give us what we need. Did you, did you see what he did? He's not, he doesn't turn his eyes from us. He walks among his churches. He's here now. He'll give us what we need. Let's do this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, these are hard words. These are hard words. Oh, but I praise you for them. You are magnified and you are glorified and your grace is magnificent. And the fact that you would wear the crown of thorns, you would lose everything that we might have everything, God. It just blows me away. And so I pray that that grace would become more magnificent and clear to us and that we would be your church that is willing to walk forward in trembling courage no matter what we face because as we lose, people will see what we love. And that's you. So we lift this up in the name of Jesus.